Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. This episode is about sex and sexuality surrounding pregnancy in the postpartum period. There's more adult content in this episode, so it's not appropriate for younger listeners. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 131. Thank you for being here with me today. I am so excited to have quite a juicy conversation with Dr. Juliana Hauser today. Dr. Juliana is a licensed couple and family therapist and a counselor with a PhD in counseling education. 
For 20 years, she has worked with clients to help them manage relationships, sexuality, confidence, infertility, and more. Her work has been featured in numerous media outlets, including Oprah Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Women's Health, and the Discovery Channel. Her flagship courses include Revealed, Uncovering Your Sexual Story. That has been found in over seven countries. As I said, we have a really juicy and informative conversation today talking about sex and sexuality surrounding pregnancy and in the postpartum period. In this episode, you're going to learn about sexual agency. That is some great stuff there, some really great life advice, really. She'll also share some common issues that she sees for women and couples surrounding sex during pregnancy, also around infertility, things like what is the bare minimum that I have to do for sex during pregnancy? What do we do if I'm on pelvic rest? She talks about how sex is not about servicing each other. She likes to think of it in a different way. We also talk about how to manage differences in sexual connection. For example, she does not agree with the just make yourself do it advice. And then finally, we touch on reconciling being a mother and a sexual being. Lots of great information in this episode that we all need to hear. And she is so approachable, um, really easy to talk to. I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Now, before we get into the episode, let's do a quick listener shout out. It's from Susanna Lowenstein or Lowenstein. I apologize if I didn't say it correctly. And the title of the review says critical for all pregnant people. And the review says, I listen to this podcast so much. I'm pretty sure my baby recognizes Dr. Rankin's voice as much as my own. I love that. That's so sweet. This podcast has been so incredibly educational. I cannot imagine my pregnancy without it. Dr. Rankins provides clear-cut information based on evidence and research in a way that is short, sweet, and understandable. I feel so empowered and knowledgeable about pregnancy and birth, and it is 100% due to this podcast and her birth preparation course. I am so grateful I stumbled across this podcast early in my pregnancy, so I have been able to make informed, unbiased decisions that are best for me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susanna, for that lovely, lovely review. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to leave that. I also love that you say that your baby is hearing my voice as much as yours. It's really sweet. Now, one of the things that Susanna brings up in her review is how she not only listens to the podcast, but she's a member of the birth preparation course. If you don't know, the birth preparation course is my signature online childbirth education class that gets you calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth, especially in the hospital. And the podcast and the course actually are designed to work synergistically together. Yes, the podcast is great, but the course will help you take it to that whole next level. There's a deeper dive into some content. There's also a lot of use of visual elements that I can't do in the podcast. There's also interaction with me and other mamas who are going through the same thing as you in the private community Facebook group. So if you are looking to up level your childbirth education and do check out the birth preparation course. It's incredibly affordable for everything that you get. You can learn all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Juliana Hauser. Thank you 
Juliana for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I am so excited to have you on to talk about this very important topic. Great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you for like honoring this topic too. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work and even your family, if you'd like. Yes. So um, I am currently in Kentucky. Um, I've lived all over. I have um, two kids and they have a wide uh, spread between the two. I have a 22-year-old son who uh, is finishing up college and I have a seven-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. You almost started over. (laughs) I I did. Yeah. There's a 14-age difference between them. So that's been fascinating. And it was really interesting when I had a toddler and a teenager at the same time. I'm sure. I'm Uh, sure. But but it's it's actually been wonderful, and I I love it. A lot of people will come up to me and say I'm like they'll they'll identify with my daughter. They'll say, oh my my siblings are all thirteen or fourteen years older than me, and, and it turned out great, and it's wonderful, and I, I love it when people see us and uh, see the difference of yeah. how how we are. Um, and I have, my career has been an interesting career. I actually started off as a kindergarten teacher oh. and, uh, and then transitioned to being a therapist. And then along the way, I, I really discovered my interest in comfort and sex and sexuality. And that ended up becoming like my area of expertise. So by trade, I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor and a sex educator. All right. And you've been doing this for a while. How long have you been doing it? I love folks to hear how long folks have been in their work. Yeah. So I uh, graduated from Auburn with my master's in counseling in 97. So that's when I became a counselor. And then I graduated with my PhD um, as a marriage and family therapist uh, in 2005. So two different kind of phases of yeah, things. But lots of experience in the area. Lots. Yeah. Yes. And I sprinkled in some acting in between that. Well, I oh my goodness. And did <laughs> and acting for a while. Uh, so that's where some of the media stuff that I do now really comes into play too. I bet. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I'm curious, what led you to specifically focus on sex and sexuality in your work? So it first happened when I was getting my doctorate that I had um, one like sexuality and couples class. And I was, I mean, I didn't miss a minute. I took copious notes. I I just ate it up and I would look around at my friends and colleagues and they were bored. And I was like, how, how are you bored? Like, this is so (laughs) fascinating and interesting. And my professor took me aside and said, you're different. This, <laughs> you know, this, this needs to be what you're doing. Like you, you have the passion for this that not everyone does. And so, you know, use that naturalness um, to it. And then I just went back and started exploring why, why is it that that was so interesting to me? What was, what was it that I wanted to know about it and help people with? And I realized that I just had a greater comfort and curiosity with sexuality. And I didn't, I didn't want to continue the shame Mm. that I saw in myself and in others. I saw it as something as a really normal part of our life. And I wanted to be a person that people could come to and normalize it and validate their feelings. I, when I was in college, I had a group of girlfriends that um, we came together and we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just being friends with each other. But when we would do like our sexual debriefing with each other, I found that we we had this wonderful mix of a lot of differences. We came to our friendships with different sexual backgrounds, different sexual values, 
and, and goals, frankly, but we didn't judge each other for it. And we allowed there to be a safe environment for us to talk, to share our experiences and the good and the bad without making each other wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was a new experience for me. Um, and, and it changed me. So when I was finishing up my doctorate and doing my dissertation, I actually replicated a class um, and constructed a new class based on that experience with my friendship group, huh. just to, to see how that would work. Right. And I had, uh, they, uh, it took me a year to get the college to agree to it. And once they did, I had, they said, well, if you can get six people, then you can do this. Right. I had 20 within a couple hours. Of course. And they were, yes, <laughs> because we want to talk about sex because we're not giving a space. Right. Now, when I started this, it was different. The climate was different and the, it was a lot more, um, surprising to have a class about sexuality. It was not as much, you know, on the internet like it is now, but I still find that people are hungry mm -hmm. to talk about sex and sexuality in a safe and way that isn't being, they're not being told what to do. They're being shown how to discover what their sexuality is on their own terms. Love it. Love it. Love it. And you clearly have passion for this work. I do. Yes, yeah, it has remained. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. So why don't we start off one of the things that... Um, when you wrote in was talking about sexual agency. So what does that mean? Why is it important? And then even how does that relate to pregnancy and birth? Yes. I, I think agency is what our sex education should be founded on. And it should be a term that we all know and are living and are practicing with each other and having communities about it. To break it down into five steps, um, sexual agency is is born from the idea that we need to be our own experts. We have the responsibility and 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 really the the privilege of being able to say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. Mm -hmm. This is what I like, this is what I don't like. And to know that yourself and be responsible for that knowledge and, and self-exploration. And then to be in community and relationships with other people who respect that and want them themselves. And that you provide that for each other. I, that sounds obvious. That sounds ideal, but it's hard in practice. Sure. And it's, it's very difficult uh, uh, in the topic of sexuality and in relationships because you see conflict when people are 
finding that their wants and needs are different than each other, but they're, they're committed. So what do you do mm. when you want something different um, in that? And so what I also have learned through my research, and particularly with women, but I find this with all genders as well, which is we, if I, if I, if I was to ask a woman, do you know how to make decisions? It's, it almost comes off as an insulting a question like, yes, of course, I'm grown and <laughs> I know how to do this. But when I start talking about particular places, especially places where there's healing in their sexual journey, I find that choice was really not there. Mm. And that's where I started really diving into what sexual agency is. And my definition is first that you realize there's a decision to be made. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're in the middle of something and it's just happening. And I'm not talking about assault um, at this point. I mean, those are like the obvious parts of where agency isn't in play, but right. the more subtle uh, nuances in relationships. So you have to know there's a decision to be made. Then you have to feel confident in your decisions. As we go through life and we've made decisions that go awry, we often lose confidence in our own decision making. Mm. That makes us hesitate. That makes us not trust our own judgment. Sure. And that makes it difficult to act in agency when you don't trust yourself or trust the world to respond to your decisions in the way that you need them to. The third thing is, is that you make a decision. There are a lot of people that will describe, they just go along with the flow or they let other people make a decision or they defer without even realizing they're doing that. So you have to be able to say, this, this is what I want. This is what's happening. This is my yes. This is my no on this. Then I used to end it there. And I thought, well, that's a lot. And that's a lot for some of us to learn and, and for us to create an environment for. But it didn't account for a lot of what I was finding was when, when I was going through people's history and they were having shame and guilt, where I found the difference was we needed to deal with when you make a decision, when you are confident that you've made a good one, but things go awry. And I call those unintended consequences. Hmm. And, that, and that happens, especially with... Uh, with relationships and that happens a lot in pregnancy that things sure. happen that you have no control over right, right. and you have to have the skill set to be able to handle that and then the last thing that i rounded up is so when something goes awry there's unintended and sometimes unintended is better than we think it's going to go that's true what do we what do we do with that and for some and at some circumstances you find resiliency and that goes back to feeling good about yourself, feeling confident you can make decisions, being able to make decisions, or we wall ourselves up, we make ourselves wrong, we feel like victims, we don't wanna make decisions, we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust the world. So it's a cycle. And our I look at the concept of agency as something that we need to continue to have a relationship with because Things happen when we have new people in our life and our agency isn't just affected about our sex life and our sexuality. It's affected by all things. Mm -hmm. And, and so we need to keep working that so that we keep making decisions. We keep checking in and having self-reflection. We keep making ourselves find uh, relationships whether it's platonic or sexual or work relationships or friendships that promote agency in each other. And that's what, and, and that that allows it to grow and grow and grow. Well, Julian, I mean, we already starting off with some serious <laughs> life advice here. My goodness. <laughs> I tell you what, it, it, thank you. It, it, it really changed my life. I, I, and that's also where I became really passionate. And I think it's a concept that can be difficult to wrap your head around. And I've learned to, that that's part of the process 
is that if if this sounds like what or like seems obvious sit with it mm -hmm. and think like where am i in my agency and who surrounds me that wants that like my i used to have a course in a brand called be your own sexpert and the premise of it was, yes, I'm an expert within sex and sexuality, but I'm not your expert. I want to teach you to find, I want to ask you the questions that's no one, that no one is asking you. And I want to sit with you while you discover it on your own and celebrate when you find out what is a yes and what's a no to you inside and outside sexual activity. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, I mean, it's almost like a window into finding your power, not mm -hmm. just in relation to sex, but in your life. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So how about we talk about what are some issues that you see? I'm just, this may be a, a couple that you see women and couples have sometimes surrounding sex during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a lot, and I work with a lot of couples. I do lots of work within infertility too. And it is, you know, the process of fertility, whether it's going the way that you want it to, or if there are stumbles along the way mm -hmm. is not benign. And it really highlights where couples um, have strengths and it highlights where there's challenges um, in couples. Because it's for, even if you've had multiple children, each pregnancy, each child is so different that you are often starting from scratch and having new things that you have to negotiate with each other. So what I find, especially with first time uh, parents is a fear of like, what's, is it okay to have sex right. uh, during, especially penetrative sex during, uh, during pregnancy. And although I can't give medical advice, what I hear a lot of is um, in general, if you're not having pregnancy issues, it is safe, yep. but it is, it's, it can be hard to wrap your mind around. So there's, a being inside of me at some, you know, the various uh, stages um, mm -hmm. within you in the pregnancy. What does that mean? What's that like? Who am I as a sexual being uh, pregnant as uh, someone, if, if, if it's a heterosexual couple or another couple that, that is having sexual activity, the non-pregnant person uh, having sex with the pregnant person can not know what their role is and what that means. And so just kind of, like demystifying the myths and the harms that can happen with having sex and have having people understand that there are some really wonderful benefits to having sexual activity with it. Um, I, uh, I also see there's a lot of fear of if I don't want to have sex or I don't satisfy my partner that my partner is going to cheat on me huh. or we're going to be in a lot of discord. Like how do I have, what is the, I, I get this question a lot. What is the bare minimum I can do to still be, quote, a good partner mm. um, during pregnancy in sex? And so obviously I like to unpack all of the values that are being placed upon that first sure, um, and helping a couple decide what is working for them and realizing that that can change week to week, day to day, uh, month to month in the pregnancy. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, really just a wide, a wide range of things and all of it is. So none of this is like abnormal or like you're not crazy if you're feeling some of these things. They're relatively common, it sounds like, in your experience. Absolutely. In fact, I was just talking with a client yesterday and her question was, am I a weirdo if I don't want to, to give oral sex to my husband very often because she's on pelvic rest? And we talked through like, like, what is the reason that she would even consider the word weirdo 
as a description for not wanting to do something and unpacking all the shoulds that we put onto our sexual selves mm-hmm. first and then trying to find like where are the needs that both of you need to be met. Um, I often work through couples of trying to remove the idea of servicing each other uh, and replacing it with experiencing with each other. And I, a lot of that comes from the, the words we see and hear from each other, what we're told from generations before us, what we're seeing in the media. Um, and we don't do a lot of great education about how to experience pleasure with our partner. So that's a lot of focus during pregnancy is let's widen the definition of what pleasure is and and add to the repertoire of what sexual connection can be and what intimacy can be. Sometimes that's penetrative. Sometimes that is oral sex. And sometimes it's a lot of other things too. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then, you know, you also mentioned you deal with couples with having um, fertility issues. I know that sex can often become like a chore in those circumstances. So what would you say about that? Mm-hmm. So some of that is dictated on how often you're needing to have it and why you're needing to have it. And there are there are variances that you can't get around of, of feeling that to a degree. What I find is, again, looking at pleasure and looking at there's lots of things you can do leading up to it and afterwards that um, can make you feel like this isn't just functional, that this is also the function isn't just to get pregnant. The function is also to keep our relationship connected and for us to feel this intimacy that no one else gets to feel with each other about it. Um, I, I often say that the one of the most powerful things you can do as a couple, if you're going through fertility issues or you're having a disconnect um, during pregnancy is to have an atmosphere, like an atmosphere and an attitude of curiosity. Mm. And, and when something doesn't feel right, uh, not, not, of course, not about harm, you know, to the pregnancy, but when, when, when it's just not working and somebody isn't, isn't feeling it, instead of looking at it as a failure or a warning side for the relationship, I like to look at it as in like, okay, we are pioneers of information. We're going to remain curious. A no is not bad. A no is as powerful as a yes. So now we know this is a no for her, for him, for them, whatever. Okay, so let's find a yes. Is there something that can replace that? And I deconstructed with what needs were were not being met that made it a no and what needs were met that we can build on and grow from. Love it, love it, love it. So it sounds like obviously curiosity, just like you said, is a really important strategy to help manage some of these issues and and differences so you can both or or you or your partner can both have an enjoyable um, sex life during pregnancy. Are there any other strategies that you recommend? Yes. I w- communication is key. Mm. And that's, you know, again, it's kind of easy to say, like, we just need to communicate better. <laughs> but, but how do you do that when you're exactly. in the throes of that, you know, and like yes. when you're angry or sad or right. scared right. or someone, someone has crossed the line, like all of that, all, uh-huh. all of the like beautiful rules that we can put to it, go out the window and you're just showing your ass and, you know, and, and not, <laughs> not doing any of the things we're supposed yes. to. And I, I've been there myself. We're yes. human. Haven't we all? Yes. 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 <laughs> but then you can reset. And, um, and so I like to normalize that we don't have to be perfect communicators, but we have to be kind and, and kindness means we apologize. Kindness means that we give grace 
um, to each other in it and that we keep going back to what our ground rules are. So first you have to create the ground rules uh, with each other and those can change. Again, like if you're staying curious instead of being critical with each other, then you can be like, well, that didn't go well. So <laughs> let's try this instead of like, you did this and you did that. And right. that kind of stuff just derails it. And, and you're no longer working as a team, which is my second bit of advice, which is you need to have the team approach. Team approach all the time. I've even had couples that I had them name what their team is so that they can uh, kind of get a perspective of what this is about. Instead of just being at each other, we are coming at this together. Uh, some couples do that very naturally, and it's beautiful to see that. Other couples, they don't. Hmm. That it's everything's a fight and everything is something to win. Right. And when I have that happen, it's just a lot of work of let's just get to the basics of um, how to communicate. And so a lot of the ground rules are let's be a team. Um, what do we consider kind? Uh, this next thing is a really important and it's rarely asked um, for people, but you should know this for yourself and you should um, ask your partner, which is what do you need to feel safe? Huh. When when I use the word safe, most people think physical, which of course that's that's an absolute ground, you know, baseline of it. But I, I re I'm also meaning emotionally safe. Yeah. Because when we're not emotionally safe, that's when we go to the places that cause damage. That's when we say things that we we wish we hadn't said or do the things or act in a way that we'd be mortified for people to have a video of. We, um, so, and what we consider what we need in a person, a relationship and environment to be safe is not always the same what our partner needs. So be able to explain what you need in safety and be open to what your partner needs and create that environment together and both be equally responsible for having that safety um, amongst each other. And then um, I like to look at when, when you've had a, a, an argument or a conflict go awry, when you've really not been your best self or even close to your best self in it, I like to look at where were we problem focused as opposed to where were we trying to win the battle. Mm. And again, that's a hard skill to deconstruct, but it's important to like, I, I, I believe in debriefing. I like sex debriefings. I like conflict debriefings <laughs> and let's, let's talk about what went well and what didn't. And let's be loving and mature about this because if we are partnered up to make our lives better, and if we're partnered up to learn more of ourselves and to have companions through the world, then we should be focused on being kind and clear with each other and constantly checking in with what do you need um, and wanting to know what the other person needs from, um, from a good heart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I know it maybe feels like, do sometimes people feel like, gosh, this is a lot of work and I got to do this, that, and the other, but it sounds like once you kind of put in that initial sort of get your ground rules and set the, the tone for things that it actually doesn't have to be an overwhelming thing. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I mean, there are times it can feel overwhelming, but it doesn't have to. There are, again, like if you stay from, if you come from a place of like, okay, so now we're learning that didn't work or, or this does, and you have a more of a lightness to it mm -hmm. and you're, you can infuse humor and perspective to the, the ups and downs, and the ebbs and flows of the relationship, then it doesn't become overburdening. And when two people have that attitude, then 
things can change and flex and be agile in a relationship, which is really what you need. Because there's just so much in life we can't anticipate and things that happen that we don't expect. You have to have emotional agility and you have to have that kind of movement in your relationship to be able to flex with it together. I often will, will use the example of if you're going through a crowd with your partner, uh, who is the one that's that's grabbing the other one and leading them along? And um, and who is the one that's allowing themselves to have that? And it should be back and forth. Mm. Um, and and that allows it not to feel like the, feel like they overwhelm, too, if, if there is more of a partnership in that. Um, I wanted to give one other strategy sure. um, about like, especially if there is differences in um, sexual connection during pregnancy, and kind of going back to your former question, yeah. which is, and not, not everyone agrees with me on this, and you'll hear this advice in opposite from others, but I feel pretty passionate to never give advice to just do it. Um, I don't say just force yourself to do it or like, just like make yourself do it. It'll be fine. You know, appease your partner, those kind of thing. I don't find that to be helpful. Um, and in fact, I think it breeds resentment and disconnect instead of appeasing um, it for both parts uh-huh. of it. So finding your way into um, where, where can you find middle ground that maybe not all of your needs are met, but the priority ones are for both of you makes a big difference and that no one should have the attitude that you should just do something that you don't want to do. Uh, particularly um, in a committed relationship. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So let's talk about what happens after you have a baby. One of the things that can really pop up is that sometimes it can be hard for women to reconcile both being a mother and also a sexual being. A lot of that comes from our, you know, things in society of how a mother should be, those kinds of things. What are your thoughts about that and how women navigate that? 
Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, and it's not predictive. I used to think it was, but after years of doing this, I've realized, because I, I used to say, if you're going into a pregnancy, having a healthy sexual connection, then typically that's going to be okay for you to navigate the new roles. Not true. Not true at all. Huh. <laughs> it, it, it varies. Um, because it's another journey that's happening alongside of it. And one, our sexual journey is never stagnant. It is always fluid and never changing, interacting with things. And that's the same thing with parenthood. Our parenthood journey is not stagnant and it is not predictable. So when you have those things intertwining, um, it, it can feel confusing. Uh, and some of it is on our role models. Some of it's personality. Some of it is what kind of baby you get. That can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, like that, that, that joke that, you know, you make joking to your child, you make it difficult to be the kind of parent I always thought I'd be, <laughs> that, you know, um, or like conversely, like you get the kid you need to have and uh, you learn your lessons through the children that you have. And that can happen in infancy too. Um, I, uh, I, I think it's great to, to walk into it trying as much as you can to be open-ended with who you're going to be and how you're going to interact with your partner and with your child or children along the way. And I think it's okay to not know. So often we think we should know this. We're trying so desperately, especially first time parents Mm -hmm. to just figure out how to keep this kid alive and um, thrive. And and we're so worried about everything um, about how how to navigate all the new roles um, in our life. If you've had any kind of physical issue along the way with the child or with your own body through it, that can make it very complicated. Um, And then it's even to another end of the continuum, which is if everything quote goes well, if you have a a baby that aligns with your, your way of parenting, if you and your partner are working well together, it's often a place of, okay, so what is this body? <laughs> Who are you? And how do I have a new relationship with this body is? And how does this new body want to experience pleasure and sexual activity alone and with, um, with a partner? Um, that has so much variance to it. But what I, what I want for, especially for women, is to allow the marriage of parenthood and sexuality to happen, Mm. to really be purposeful and intentional about it, that you haven't become something different. You have added something alongside of it. And that is a nuance that I think is important to understand. Um, But, you know, it's, and, and allow that to ebb and flow. It's, it can be really different if for those who are breastfeeding to figure out how do how do our this body part become functional in one aspect and pleasurable in another? Yes. And sometimes it's both. That sometimes breastfeeding is pleasurable. And I have people that feel guilt about that, that they find pleasure in breastfeeding and wanting to just normalize that process as well. I've had going back to pregnancy, I've had people feel complete and utter guilt for masturbating during pregnancy. Um, what is that going to do to the baby? What does that mean to the baby? What does this mean about me? Um, or if they feel extra horny um, and feeling a lot more desire during mm-hmm. that, what does that mean? And that can happen after the baby um, comes as well. Um, I, I, I find agency to be integral at this point that you, um, again, like depending on how your birth went and your birth experience went, that 
sometimes is very uh, invigorating and really gives a, um, a surge of agency for a woman uh-huh. when she's had the birth experience she wanted yep. or overcame something really special. Yep. And I've had women that their birth experience was traumatic and they felt their agency was taken from them from many different places. And so if you were having either of those, that can be hard to conceptualize sure. and integrate into who you are as a person. And then let's just add in hormones and exhaustion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and every person's opinion as to what your baby is and how you should parent onto that. And it's just like the noise and the voices that come alongside of it. So let's normalize. You may not know today who you are as a sexual being, and that's okay. You may know it tomorrow. And that's okay too, but don't stop asking that and work to not have that part of yourself completely close off. That is something that I feel protective for, for people is that, um, you are a sexual being inherently, and that will change depending on what's happening in your life. But it's important to spend time on that. And that's in parenthood, um, pregnancy, um, and the newborn phase also. Yes, yes, yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Excellent. Excellent advice. And kind of related to that, like, and you mentioned it briefly, even feeling like sexy or like a sexual being can be challenging even during pregnancy and after having a baby. So how do you suggest people still like reconnect or, you know, don't, don't lose that. I could talk for two hours about the word <laughs> sexy. <laughs> and, and I want to think, and it surely comes up and it's such a good question that you're asking because that is a phrase that's used a lot. Uh-huh. I don't feel sexy. I don't feel sexy anymore. Uh-huh. And sometimes that means we need to go way back to then how do we even define what sexy is yeah. for you? And okay, so let's figure out what that is out. Let's let's work. If you can hear, I say this a lot. I think everything is a concept on a definition and that we should have a relationship with these different parts of ourselves instead of it being something that's separated from us. And that's the same thing with sexy. So I like I I call it finding sexy. And my definition uh, and my concept of sexy is spark and vibrancy. It isn't about what my body looks like. It isn't about how it's interacting with others. It is my connection with the vibrancy inside of me and mm-hmm. how I spark that. Um, that is hard when you're exhausted. That is, it's hard to feel vibrant and to feel um, a spark or to know where to get your spark when you life has turned into um helping keep another being alive and helping them grow in them on themselves, which is what we so often see is that women and parents lose themselves in their kids. So where you need to go and the, the bigger picture is let's talk about where those sparks are. It may not be the same. It probably won't be the same spark it was before, um, but that's okay. Let's discover again, curiosity of where that spark is in your life. Um, where is that vibrancy inside of you? Yes, you're exhausted. Yes, you're feeling these things. But can we protect some areas inside of you, in your relationship, in your life that still brings vibrancy back to you? And I often, um, you'll hear the phrase that happens inside the bedroom, happens outside the bedroom. That works well when you're trying to rediscover or find again or find a new phase of your relationship with sexy is 
if if there's a place in your life that you do find vibrancy, that you do find a spark, start there and let that grow and move that into sexual connection. Uh, I'm so happy that in the last decade, especially the last five years, that the concept of masturbation, I use the word self-pleasure, is so much more palatable for people. And it is something that we're talking about. There's so much more information about it, about how to do it and how to normalize it. Mm -hmm. But I love working with parents, um, especially parents of young kids, um, about how to keep incorporating or to reincorporate self-pleasure into your life and how to use that as a way of connecting with your vibrancy, with your sexual energy and having that be something that's beautiful and helpful and will help you to feel sexy again. So that's like the bigger picture answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the smaller, like not smaller, but like the more specific answer that I can give is um, that you can't pressure yourself again, like going back to that, if you make yourself do it, that is not going to tell your body it's safe and fun. And so we want to find fun again, want to see what feels pleasurable and in an environment that isn't like, you have to do this. This is the good. You are good. If you do this, you are a good wife. You're a good partner. If you do this, um, you are bad. If you don't do this, um, or that you don't have, you have a place that you can say like, this hurts, or I'm scared for to try this, or I'm not interested in this anymore. It, it's, it isn't as interesting to me. I'm, I'm focused on this. Um, or I don't feel good about the way my body looks. Uh, I have, I've been actually writing this play um, based on sexual stories. And I have this montage of people on top of their sexual partner. And I, really called on a lot of the women that I work with that um, talk about they are concerned about how their body looks to their partner after pregnancy, how it changes, and particularly about if they use the sexual position of being on top, what their partner is seeing now that their body has changed. Mm. And just trying to, to help their um, partner to know how to communicate in a way that is affirming. Um, and not dismissive of that experience and trying to find women um, ways to, again, honor that their body has changed, but not should themselves into accepting the changes that maybe they're not, they haven't become accustomed to. For some women, that isn't an issue. For some women, they, they love the changes and they're embracing it. And some women, it's really difficult. Sure. Um, and so finding positions, sexual positions that don't trigger that inside of you changing lighting, changing places where you're doing it, creating variety that I like to look at this like, okay, so if this doesn't feel good, okay, great. Again, like no, the no is not bad news. It's good news because it's information that we can flex and move with. But also let's look at parenthood and life after pregnancy as in this is exciting to have a new chapter. Let's discover Okay, so before this felt good, now it doesn't. That doesn't have to be something that we have to grieve. It can be like, now that I'm moving into a new phase and let's see what feels good now. Sometimes we have to grieve and, and honor those feelings, but I also want us to move into, this isn't all bad news. Even if we don't like this role or this sag or this change, okay, let's honor that, maybe grieve it. But let's also find that this part is new. This part is great. Let's try this new position. Let's try this. Let's do it in the car. Let's do it during, you know, in the morning. Let's try something different and see 
what sparks an interest in our sexiness with a new concept of sexy. Let's look at what we can do different with each other and be adventurous. And let's look at like, let's high five each other. We survived. We survived that pregnancy. <laughs> yes. We survived that newborn phase. Yep. We can figure out how to have great sex again. I can figure out how to feel sexy again. And I get to decide what my path is to finding sexy. I do not what anyone else's. I can learn from others and I can pick and choose what feels right for me. And then I get to forge my path and that's beautiful. And if I'm partnered, I want to do that alongside of you and you're figuring out because it isn't just women and the, the bodies that went through the pregnancy that have to find a new sexy and figure themselves out as a sexual being is the partners um, alongside them too. I work with lots of partners um, who, uh, feel the same way. They don't know how to figure out um, who they are as a sexual person. They have aged, they have changed. Their priorities are different also after a child enters their life. Um, and so again, let's normalize this and say, high five, let's do this. We can do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just such excellent, excellent advice. So as we wrap up, what would you say is one of the most frustrating parts of your work? I ask all my, my guests that. Oh, that's a good question. Um, frustrating is um, having to really balance not giving so much of my support and advice and empathy for my clients that I don't have anything left for my friends and family mm. um, in my intimate life. Um, there are, there, are, it, it, it took a long time for me to not feel at the end of the day, like a lot of us in our jobs, like I'm so done. Uh, and like, I don't want to hear any more talking or, or I, I can't, I'm out of advice and thoughts and holding space for others. Um, and, and then for the ones who are really in my intimate life, not having enough to give them, and I uh, don't want that, didn't want that. And so I, I, I found that to be a, a real edge point for me to find that balance. Uh, and another thing too, that isn't necessarily related to, to like this with pregnancy, mm -hmm. but I had to really learn because I hear lots of secrets. I, um, I hear uh, lots of, especially with, with couples work, I hear lots of um, cheating stories and, and betrayal things. I had to really work on, this is selective of the population and this isn't everybody. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so that, that was something I had to learn along the way too. Gotcha. Like not everybody is cheating and not. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I mean, you know, again, like I know it, but I realized that I was like hearing that everywhere right, and right. Uh, assuming that in, in all things. Right. And that's not the case. Gotcha. So that, that was a, a, a frustrating yeah, part um, yeah. of my work too. Yeah, and I can see also, like you said about, I mean, if you're pouring yourself into your work all the time, like what you have left for others could be challenging. Yeah. Finding that balance. So on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work? It is such an honor for me to like, it actually almost makes me want to choke up now. Like I, I, I've been doing this for so many years. And I still am in awe of people who are really trying to make their life different and life better. I, I find that the person who calls or emails a therapist to be some of the bravest people mm. um, that they're like, I need, I need help. I, or I need to change something in myself and I don't know how to do it. And I, I want, I want to change this. 
um, that I just, I just find that to be very brave and, and wish more people could do that. I also, um, love, I, I really believe stories matter and I am always in awe that people want to trust me with their stories and that it's beautiful to hear. I learned so much about myself and humanity and I, Although I said that about like the cheating part, although I don't condemn, you know, I, I, I see the humanity in, in that situation also. I, I have the privilege of hearing so much, um, so many v- variety of people's lives and perspectives and experiences. I've, I've been online for over six years because I, my niche is, is um, so specific that I wanted to, be able to reach more people. And so I work with people all over the world. and I. I have been so enriched in my life for meeting different cultures and um, hearing different life stories. And I, I often think if you sit with somebody long enough and ask questions and just listen, you will be amazed by the beauty in the world and by the beauty of people that you don't get to hear in the news a lot. And you don't get to hear on, on social media. Um, and I feel really fortunate that I do. Yeah, that is really beautiful. Really beautiful. And you know what? I realized I forgot forgot to ask. When do you recommend that people consider seeing a, a someone who specializes specifically in a sex therapist? Well, my first answer is always. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be proactive. I think it should be preventative. I think it should be in crisis mode. All, all of those things. And I, and I have that. Like I do have people um, who, um, who come to me like, you know what? I'm in a good place in my life. Let's, let's work on some things. And I love that. Um, I come to people that like, you are my last hope. You are our last hope. I'm desperate please help us. And, and thank goodness they're getting help then. Um, and then I have people in between that. I, I work with, I've had some clients that I work with for years. And the beauty of having consistent care is that, you know, I know them really well and I know their ups and downs. And so I have a very intimate view of patterns and perspective and have, I become like institutional knowledge for their life. And that's really helpful. I also think it's really great to have short kinds of therapy that you're going in for one specific thing and you're in and out and you can get different perspectives. Um, I, I think it's really great to um, like, I go in, like I, I, we joke that like I, I have a therapist. So I like my therapist is like the grand therapist to my, my people. <laughs> that they see, like, and it's really good. It's, it's, I think it's just so helpful to have other people's perspectives. We can become so myopic uh-huh. in our own life. Sure. Um, and so it's, it's helpful to do that when we're talking about sex and sexuality, where, where I often see people coming most often, like the biggest trend is, uh, when you're in transition. So a new parent, um, newly dating somebody, mm-hmm. um, newly divorced, um, going into menopause, um, having a, a realization about a, a, a history in their life, changing their job or needing to change their job, those kinds of things. Right. Transitions seem to be places where uh, people are ready to make change and to get perspective and to, to seek support. So I find that to be the case. And then with sexuality in, in particular, I think if you have any interest in the topic, like if it just, if you start thinking about it more than you typically do, that's the time to seek somebody to get support. And and there's different ways. There's therapists, there's counselors, 
There are courses that you can take that that are like do it yourself. There are books you can read. There's lots of ways to to educate yourself on a, a, a deeper knowledge of who you are as a sexual being. Sometimes that needs to involve somebody else. And sometimes that's something that you can do in an individual endeavor. And I actually recommend both. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So last thing, what's your favorite piece of advice that you'd like to give to folks expectant moms or anyone about sex and sexuality? Ooh, that's another good one. My favorite <laughs> piece of advice is, and it, this may sound redundant, but, but this really is, um, is it is uh, your responsibility and privilege to prioritize who you are as a sexual being. And if you do, your life will change. Mm. And if we keep creating communities where we have our own agency, then I think the world will change. Sexuality is one of the few things we all have in common. And it is one of the most divisive things that we um, put upon each other. And when we can change that in a way it becomes a model for so many other things um, that we have discord in our communities and in our world. And sexuality isn't something like my advice is don't look at sexuality as something that has to be um, behind closed doors. And that is only about what you do with your body and uh, what who you do it with. It's the essence of who you are. That is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So where can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to look for you after this episode. So where oh, can folks great. find I you? I hope yeah. so. Yes. Um, so Instagram at Dr. Juliana Hauser and uh, same uh, on Facebook. Uh, and then my website is Dr. Dash Juliana with one N. All right. And we will link all of that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Juliana, for coming on to the podcast. This was such great information. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for honoring this topic. Uh, it's brave for you to enter it into your podcast. And, um, and I thank you for that. And thank you for having me on here. All right. Wasn't that a great episode? She is really passionate about her work and helping women really reclaim their power around sex and sexuality. And I appreciate her coming on to talk about that important topic that isn't always discussed very openly and well in our society or in a way that is supportive as she did. So I appreciate it. Now, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top three or four takeaways from the episode. Here are my Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Dr. Juliana. Number one, I love how she talked about trusting yourself to make decisions. It's so important that you tap into that inner wisdom that you have, that we all have, and use that and touch upon that to trust yourself to make decisions decisions. Okay. Not just surrounding sex, of course, but in your life, trusting yourself to make decisions. And actually all of the things I'm going to talk about can apply to birth as well. The second thing, or the second Nicole's notes is not only do you trust yourself to make the decision, but then you actually make the decision and go forward with the decision. And you do so with the understanding that things may not necessarily go the way you intended, but that is not a reflection that you necessarily made a poor decision or that you did something bad or you did something wrong. Trust that you are going to make the best decision at any given time based on the information that 
that you have. Sometimes things change, sometimes things evolve, but trust yourself that you're actually gonna make those decisions and make the right decisions, even if things don't necessarily go the way that you intended. And then the final point that I loved is how she talked about how sexuality is a window into finding your power. This is just a great opportunity to exercise um, your power and your strength, not just there, but in all areas of your life. And I, I love the analogy or using this um, smaller setting in order to help strengthen and build that power and build that um, decision-making muscle. Now, as I said, all of these things apply to birth as well. You need to trust yourself or you can trust yourself to make decisions during your birth. You can make decisions and understand that even though things may not go exactly how you want them to go, you can actually make those decisions. And birth is also a great window to finding your power as well. Now, of course, one of the things that helps you do that and helps support you in finding that power and making the best decisions and helping you to trust yourself and making decisions for your birth is, of course, great childbirth education. And so do check out the birth preparation course, my childbirth education class that, as I say, gets you calm, confident and empowered to have that beautiful birth, especially in the hospital. I made the course with the specific intent for talking about hospital birth and specifically for first time moms. It helps you to prepare your mind, which is so important. Understand all of the details of labor and birth and the things that are happening in your body. You'll get prepared for those possible curveballs that can come up because birth is an unpredictable process. And then of course, I get you off to a great start postpartum because having the baby is just the beginning. So do check out the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. I would be delighted to serve you inside the course. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to me right now. And I would love it if you leave an honest review in Apple Podcast. In particular, it helps the show to grow, helps other women to find the show. And I do shout outs from those reviews from time to time. And if you're not already with me on Instagram, do come follow me there. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. And there I post lots of useful information just about every day, helpful tips and things about pregnancy and birth. I do videos. I'm even doing reels, y'all. I said for a long time I was never going to do reels, but I even started doing reels. I just had to do them in a way that works for me. So do check out all of the content I have for you there on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week.